Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. You may be seated. Real Church, I'll be honest with you, I'm, uh, I'm dealing with a, some upper respiratory stuff going on in my chest. And so I have a cough drop right here in the corner of my mouth. It's not a pinch of dip, I promise. And I do have, I do have a water too, okay? So if I have to pop another cough drop or take a sip of water, please forgive me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. So um, I never really understood uh, how important it was for a pastor to take a break on a Sunday until I became a pastor and pastored Bethlehem Baptist Church for nearly three years. And any opportunity I had to get away and let somebody take a Sunday for me, it was a big deal. And it's never really something I understood until I was in that position. And so Barry, is, if you college, follow college football, you know that Barry uh, was in Knoxville yesterday. So they played the Aggies uh, in Neyland Stadium, and Wendy's family are big Aggies fans. And it's always good when your team's a dominant team, you know, in that situation. So Tennessee did win. So Tennessee won 20-13, which is a good thing. Um, Barry, uh, I'm assuming, is coming back from Knoxville today at some point. I don't know, but I hope he takes his time, and I hope he enjoyed it, and I hope he took some, you know, pretty good blows. Toward his in-laws. That's always a good thing to be able to do that. So anyway, but I'm glad he, got, I'm glad he had an opportunity to get away and to enjoy his time with his family and with Blake and uh, his in-laws and that kind of stuff. So um, just bear with me. We're continuing to go through the book of John this morning. And uh, if you had a small group, then we reviewed everything that Barry preached about last week, uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. If you had small groups during weekday small groups this week, this past week, uh, you went over the same thing. All right. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to continue out chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 28, but let's, fo- let's, let's, let's look at the focus of the series again. Let's get, that, let's get that, uh, that text up. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these, things, but these things were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Barry has said for the past several, several months that the book of John is broken up into two parts. You have uh, chapters 1 through 12 that... that uh, share the, the signs of Christ and what he did, uh, the miracles that he performed. And then, John 13 through 21, we're looking at the narrative of Jesus' life. And so we're kind of coming towards the end of that. We're in chapter 18. Barry will start chapter 19 this week, uh, next Sunday, I meant. But I think it's helpful for us to kind of uh, uh, take a grasp on what, what we've learned so far, what we've read so far in chapter 18, and, and kind of look towards what's going to happen and kind of review uh, and make some observations about what we're going to read here this morning. There are three leaders that Jesus comes in contact with. He comes in contact with Annas, Caiaphas, and Pilate. Right? Three. Three right there, all right there together. If, you, if we look into uh, uh, what we just got through reading last week, he's having a conversation with Annas. All right? Uh, from what I understand, Annas was uh, uh, a little bit older. I understand that Annas was Caiaphas's. Uh, 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 father-in-law, and so Annas, he gets done with Jesus, and then uh, right what we're going to read in verse 28, it's going to pick up and say, uh, and say that after he left Annas to go to Caiaphas, Caiaphas 
Uh, he's going to spend the whole night dealing with Caiaphas, and then we're going to pick up in verse 28. And then, of course, he's going to go see Pilate at some point. But nothing is recorded at all about Caiaphas. So Annas, uh, obviously there's issues there. Jesus is being confronted. Jesus is being uh, condemned. There's some issues there. And uh, he, he's, on, he's on trial. And then, of course, we see the dialogue. That's what we're going to see this morning with Pilate. But there's nothing recorded for Caiaphas. So keep that in mind as we start in verse 28. But in something else in verse 28 to mention, uh, verse 28 reads, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended early in the early hours of the morning. He was taken uh, to the headquarters of the Roman governor. And so I just, wanna, I, just want, I, just, I just think it's important for us to put this in context. All right. Jesus is physically exhausted. He's been up all night. He, got, he, he went to uh, uh, the high priest, Annas, talked with him. He sent him. Annas got tired of dealing with him, so he went to Caiaphas, and he was with him all night. But in verse 27, do we, do we remember what happened with Peter and the rooster and all that good stuff? Peter is standing by the fire. He's warming his hands, and Jesus says, you will betray me. And he did, and he did it three times, and at the third time, the rooster crowed. And so I want you to picture this. Here's, what, here's where Jesus is at this point. He's physically exhausted. He's been drilled by one high priest, then goes to the son-in-law of that high priest, which is another uh, leader. He's, he is uh, uh, drilled by him all night. Meanwhile, in the back of his mind, he knew that Peter betrayed him, the rooster crowed, and all that's going on, right? So he's physically exhausted. He's emotionally exhausted, and he's kind of ticked off, right? In the back of his mind, he's like, Peter, I, I knew this would happen, but it happened. But all this is leading up to what we know is going to happen on the cross. So Pilate, in what we're about to read, he goes outside to ask the Jews what the issue is, and he encourages them to take matters into their own hands, but they can't because only the Romans have that authority. And then Pilate but uh, it's like a lawyer. He's trying to settle the matter before trial. There, uh, has anyone binge on Netflix? Any Netflixers in here? 90%, uh, 10% of y'all raising your hands. The other 90% are lying. Okay. We all binge. There's a, there's, a, there's a show that I've been watching on Netflix. Tiffany hadn't really got into it. She can't really get into it. But um, it came out a few years ago. It's called Suits, right? Suits. And so there's these lawyers going back and forth. They make their deals and they try to make deals, and they try to have these settlements before court, right? The setting is corporate law. They're in a skyscraper in Manhattan trying to make their deals, trying to make their clients look good, trying to make them look good, trying to pad their pockets, you know, that kind of stuff, right? But they're going back and forth. Uh, So-and-so owes me a favor in this situation, so it'll help me out here. And they're going back and forth, back and forth. And so Pilate, he kind of reminded me of that. He's like a lawyer trying to go back and forth between the Jews, Jesus, Jews, Jesus, and trying to figure out what the best thing to do with Jesus is. So it goes back and forth, and he's trying to make that informed decision. And Jesus is talking to Pilate, and when he's not talking to Pilate, he's talking, uh, uh, when he's not, he's just sitting there. And then Pilate comes back, and he's asking him questions. And I can't help but to think, like sometimes when I read Scripture, I can't help but to think what someone's body language is. In that dialogue, because obviously when we read the text, we're not really informed what their body language is, what their tone of voice is, right? Kind of like a text message or email in today's world. So can you imagine what Jesus' body language was, being physically exhausted, emotionally betrayed, and knowing what was about to come? There's a show that I watch on TV on the Animal Planet. I really don't watch Animal Planet all that much, but can we get that picture up there? It's called, it's called Lone Star Law. Has anyone ever seen that before? 
It's Texas Game Wardens. It's, I love, love watching it. When all else fails, we ha I have that on DVR, and I, I, I record it. You know, bad language is very, very minimal, if any at all. And what it is, these Texas Game Wardens, they get calls. Obviously, a Game Warden uh, has the same authority as a police officer, but it's statewide, and they can go out, and they can, uh, obviously, this guy right here, they're dealing with an alligator. We don't have their, very much of that in Georgia, unless you're in South Georgia. But if someone has an alligator in their pond or an alligator in their yard or a rabid raccoon or someone's hunting on a hunting lease without permission or if someone's fishing in a pond without permission, the game wardens are the guys who will go and bust them. And then, uh, of course, Texas, you have the, the, you have the Mexican border right there on the bottom, and so there's a lot of border patrol right there on the river. And then there's also, you know, you have the Gulf and, and Houston and all that. And so they're, they're always monitoring uh, how much fish making sure people are staying within their realm, you know, about how much fish they catch and, and limits and, and the size of the fish and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes those game wardens get drug, drug into the, the, the dirty work, domestic issues. You know, somebody's kid hopped on a four-wheeler and then went and tore up and vandalized some hunting property down the street, right, where they spend thousands and thousands of dollars to keep it up with food plots and whatever else is going on. Somebody's kid, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, hops on a four-wheeler and, you know, they're hauling tail around there and they're fishing without permission or hunting without permission, that sort of thing. Game warden finds out. He takes a phone call. He goes and checks it out. But what does he have to do? He has to go to the property owner and finds out who the property owner is and says, does so-and-so have your permission to be on your property? Yes or no? No? Okay. Let's go back over here to the boy's parents. I told that boy to behave and blah, blah, blah. He don't listen to me. He acts like his mama and blah, blah, blah. You see it, right? You see it all. You heard it. You probably said it too when you were a kid. And so the dad's like, you idiot. Why would you do that? Blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, daddy. I won't do it anymore. And then he, has, and then he says, he goes back to the property owner and says, okay, well, do you want to press charges? Yes or no? Right? And it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. No, don't press charges, just give him a warning. Yes, press charges on him, he's an idiot, he don't buy all my property, blah, 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 blah. He never can pay me back for that fence, and blah, 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 right? So he'll write him a ticket, or he'll give him a citation, or the parents, or whatever, and then on and on it goes, right? And so it's back and forth, back and forth. These game wardens, police officers, they kind of do it. It's back and forth. Pilate is kind of the same guy. He's the guy going back and forth between the Jews and Jesus, Jews and Jesus, Jews and Jesus, and asking them both questions. And Jesus, like he does, oftentimes answers questions with questions, right? So, it's interesting to note, too, the repetition of three. So we're going to read it here in a moment, but I want you to pick up on this. There are three leaders in chapter 18 that Jesus faces to be persecuted. There's three conversations between Jesus and Pilate and the accusers, there's three responses from Jesus. In verse 36, the word kingdom is used three times, and obviously, if Jesus is speaking and God's working, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's not sitting on the bench. There's three people here, okay? There's three people in this text. And I'm sure there's more, and I probably missed them, but that's okay. Let's read John 18, 28 through 40. Now that you have an idea of what's going to happen, and you can kind of see the context, my goal for you it's for every time we read scripture, it's for the scripture to come alive and that the Holy Spirit would illuminate things to you and, and, and just kind of teach you things that you need to hear. Uh, and same for me. But if we can have a better understanding of the context of what's going on, then that helps us out, okay? So let's read it together. John 18, 28 through 40. 
Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Jesus is exalted here, guys. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out and asked them, What's your charge against this man? Verse 30 says, We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Smarty pants. Verse 31 Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Verse 33. Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked. Jesus replied, is this your question, your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so are you a king? Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and he told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Let's pray together, okay? Father, we thank you, first and foremost, that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Not one person in this room is worthy to be in your presence. Not one person in this room is worthy to come to you in prayer. Not one person in this room is worthy to call upon your name and ask for forgiveness. Not one person deserves to be at church this morning. But by you dying on the cross... Defeating death, overwhelmingly defeating death at that, we can be here and we can study your word. Lord, I believe that one of the largest, besides your salvation to us, one of the greatest gifts that you give us is when we can read your word and we can see the letters in red, which are your words verbatim of what you said. Lord, we believe that all of Scripture. Is inspired by you. It's God-breathed. It's all-powerful. It's all-known. It has the power to change our lives. It has the power to correct us, to convict us, to rebuke us when we need that correction. But it also has the power to strengthen us. But Lord, when we read Jesus' words, our Savior, when we read his words in red, Lord, we have to perk up, and we have to pay attention, and we have to focus in on what you're saying. Sometimes you answer questions with questions, and that's fine, but there's a reason for it. And so, Spirit, we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds to figure out what you're trying to tell us through your words. You said these things a long time ago, but your word never ages out. It never has to be updated. It never has to be upgraded in any way. We depend on you. We depend on it. Jesus, you said when 
you would ascend back up to heaven, that you would send a counselor, a helper, an interpreter to remind us of the things that you said in your word. And so this is a text that perhaps we've read numerous times over the course of our life, but this morning it's brought to our attention because it's something that you want us to hear and it's something that you want us to absorb. And so I pray that you would give us the undivided attention that we need to focus in on your words and your words alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, church, Jesus was a real man on earth who experienced real endeavors that focused on the real kingdom of God. Here, what we just read, Jesus is facing resistance, he's facing chaos, he's facing confusion, he's facing blame, he's facing accusations and beatings. Meanwhile, he's physically exhausted, emotionally betrayed with Peter, and it's first thing in the morning. Have you ever been there? Church, have you ever been there? First thing in the morning? It's usually Monday mornings when that happens. That's tomorrow morning, guys. Take a good nap this afternoon, okay? Here's the focal point of this morning's sermon. Life's endeavors will involve worldly and spiritual authority. We must identify and follow spiritual authority. Jesus asked four questions, or Pilate asked Jesus four questions, and Jesus only responds to three of them. In all three of Jesus' responses, he answers with a clear distinction between spiritual authority and worldly authority. All right? So those are the three things. We're going to look at the focal, that's the focal point. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' three responses to Pilate's questions. And Jesus' response to every single one of those questions all have this truth, this reality, that, that there is worldly authority and that there is spiritual authority. In our world today, we face the same thing. If you're a believer, if you've accepted Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have, phys- you have worldly authority that we have to deal with because we live in this world, we live in America, there are laws, there are laws that we have to obey, and if we don't obey them, then we go to jail. And Jesus isn't going to come down to Coweta County and bail us out. That's just the truth. That's not going to happen, okay? He descended up to, the he- up to heaven. He's only come, he only came to earth one time as a real man 2,000 years ago. Now he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and that's where he's going to stay until he comes back. And he's not going to come back just to get you out of jail, okay? So we have worldly authority that we have to deal with. We have bosses. Who loves their boss? Dan, do you love, Lynn, do you, have your, do you love your boss? Never mind, don't answer that question. All right. <clears throat> Flip that camera around and let Lynn answer that question. Dan, do you love your boss? Never mind, don't, never, don't answer that either. All right, whatever. I love my boss, Tiffany. All right. But you have, you have your worldly authority and you have your spiritual authority. Jesus knows he's in the world, and uh, I believe that Jesus is doing his best to, to, to be obedient uh, in a worldly sense uh, to the authority at hand, which is Pilate. Pilate has the authority to do whatever he wants to to Jesus, and, uh, but Pilate's trying to be fair here. Uh, but Jesus is not necessarily thinking about worldly authority here. He's thinking about spiritual authority. He was sent for a mission. He was sent to accomplish something. And whatever it takes to get there, that's what he was going to do. In our world today, God assigns us certain things to do, certain missions. He calls us to do certain things. 
carry out certain things in life, and it's our responsibility spiritually to carry out those things despite any resistance that we may get in the world. Okay? So let's look at Jesus' first response. It's found in verse 34. Let's read it in context. Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought in. Are you the king of the Jews? That's the question that Pilate asked Jesus. He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? All right, so here's what I want you to look at. In verse 34, is this your own question? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, is this a worldly question? Because that's what I'm hearing from you. This is a worldly question. Is this your own question? You are in authority. You are, you are the worldly authority. Is this your own question? Or the second part is, or did others tell you about me? Jesus knew the answer to that question. He knew, he knew that, that, the, that his accusers were already telling him. Why? First and foremost, uh, it doesn't take a dummy to kind of figure out that's what's going on here. But also, Jesus is God in the flesh which means that he is all-knowing, that he knew the conversations that had taken place. And even though Jesus was with Caiaphas all during the night while Peter was warming his hands by the fire and he denied Jesus for the third time, Jesus wasn't with him. He was with Caiaphas getting drilled in the middle of the night, probably trying to stay awake at this point. But he knew in the back of his mind what Peter did, right? Because he's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. What this does is it speaks to spiritual authority. And so what you see here in the first part of verse 34, Jesus' response, is this your own question, which is worldly authority, and then comma, or did others tell you about me? That's the spiritual part of it. And, what, here's, and here's what Jesus is keeping in mind here. He's keeping in mind that a lot of times when we experience worldly resistance with people who are in authority over us, when we experience that resistance, more often than not, it's a distraction of what spiritual authority is trying to do in that given situation, right? That's the way it works. Life's endeavors will present worldly resistance that truly doesn't matter when considering the kingdom of God. And guys, if we have that approach, then it's going to make our decisions, it's going to make our response to that worldly resistance a lot easier. Let's look at the second response of Jesus, okay? It's in verse 35 and 36. Pilate says, am I a Jew? That's what his response is to Jesus' the first question. Your own people and leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And here's Jesus' answer. And he says, worldly, uh, he gives a uh, spiritual response and a worldly response at the beginning and the end of verse 36. He says, my kingdom, obviously that's spiritual authority, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Y'all see the difference? You see what he did? In the first response, he has worldly, he, he, he speaks of worldly authority. Is this your own question? Or did someone, other, did someone else tell you about me? That's the spiritual authority. Worldly authority, spiritual authority. He does the same thing here. My kingdom, spiritual authority, is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. Period. He starts another sentence. But my kingdom is not of this world. He does it again. He says, listen, Pilate, what I'm trying to tell you is we are not competing here. We're not competing. You're trying to compete with me. There's no competition. You are of worldly authority, and I respect you for it. But my Father in heaven up above, which we all have the same Father that Jesus did, is saying, this is what I need to accomplish, and this is how I'm going to do it. My kingdom is not 
earthly, an earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. I believe that the reason Jesus is doing this is to convince Pilate that he is not, they are not competing for authority. And there's two types of authority, worldly and spiritual. Look at Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. This is what, God, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us about worldly authority that we must do. And this is in God's word. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For, for the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those to do what is wrong. Uh, 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 those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, boo, too, for the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid, that's true. They, they are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes, governing fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Matthew 22, Jesus says, but Jesus knew their evil motives. He's all-knowing. He says, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When he handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying uh, you need to respect and honor authority. But what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, Pilate, I know, I know that you're trying to be the middleman. I know that you're the guy going back and forth. But we're not competing here. You're world, you are worldly authority. I'm spiritual authority. In our life, we're not spiritual authority. We serve spiritual authority. Okay? Jesus is speaking from a different context here. Here's the application, though. Our part is to obey worldly, worldly authority and pay your own taxes. From a worldly standpoint. From a worldly authority standpoint. From a spiritual authority standpoint. Follow Christ and worship him wholeheartedly. That is your spiritual authority. In both instances, you have a mission and you have... In action. But poor little Pilate here, he's having a hard time processing all this. Okay? He's having a hard time processing this. And Jesus has told him three, really three different times in two different answers that you are worldly authority, I'm spiritual authority. He says it again in this response. And Pilate's still in settlement mode trying to prevent the execution of Jesus if there's any reasonable evidence that he should be punished. But here's what's important here to see. As I said at the very beginning, Jesus uses the word kingdom three times in his response to Pilate. Can we get that back up there, please? One more time. Look at verse 36. The word kingdom is up there three times. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Two times in one sentence. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate, in the best he can, he's trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about. And so anytime you're looking at somebody and you're trying to figure out what they're talking about, 
you listen for repetitive words, you look for body language, you look for anything you can find to try to better understand what they're saying. I had a German professor at the University of West Georgia, and she was my chemistry teacher. <laughs> Let me tell you, chemistry is hard. It's harder when you have a German teacher because the accent is, was so heavy. She could speak English, but it was so heavy. In high school, I went to Northgate, and I had a chemistry teacher, and she was a hoot. I forgot her name, but for those of you who went to Northgate, the chemistry teacher, somebody help, somebody help me remember her name. Tiffany, what was her name? Do you remember? She was a lady, had wild hair, curly hair. She would make jokes. She was an older lady, but she would make funny jokes that I really can't repeat from the pulpit in class, if you know what I mean. And when you hear jokes like that coming from little, little sweet older ladies, you're like, okay, something's wrong with her. I made a C in her class in high school. I couldn't pay attention. I had other people in my class who couldn't pay attention. It was fourth block, too, so that's some of it. That was one of the few C's that I got in high school. I made an A at the University of West Georgia in chemistry. Why? Because I had to dial into what she was saying. Like, I had to really pay attention to what she was saying. And as soon as I could really get in a rhythm of listening to her, that's when it really clicked for me. Pilate is trying to do the same thing. He's in charge. He's worldly authority. Jesus is speaking of spiritual authority. And if anything of the world is trying to hear something spiritual, they're not hearing it. Jesus has said that the whole time, right? The world doesn't want to hear me. They can't understand me. They're going to hate you, right? They're not going to understand you. What, what is spiritual is not going to make sense to anyone of this world. Pilate is of this world. And so what Pilate does is he listened to his little English teacher in high school, and he's using context clues to try to figure out what Jesus is saying. He uses the word kingdom three times. So guess what Pilate's next question is? Look at verse 37. Jesus' third response. Pilate said, so are you a king? You follow me? He's using context clues, right? Can't blame the poor guy. That's what you do. He said, you say I'm a king. This is Jesus' response. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. This is Jesus' last response. But even in this response... Jesus is saying, have you ever tried to tell somebody something and finally you're just out of breath and you're like, would you just shut up and listen to what I'm saying? Can you just pay attention to what I'm saying? Jesus responded, he says, you say I'm a king. I'm not a king. Actually, I was born and I came into the world to testify the truth. I, <laughs> I'm not a king with a lowercase k. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, God. But this is a spiritual thing. That really doesn't apply to this situation here. You're a worldly king? You say that I'm a king, lowercase king. He's speaking of the worldly authority. Jesus says, actually, comma, I was born, came into the world to testify the truth. Pilate has still not grasped this fact. Jesus uses the word truth two times in this verse. In this repetition, Pilate's a guy about repetition, he, it leads Pilate to understand that this truth, this quote-unquote truth, is the core reason why Jesus is speaking and why he's giving his answers the way he is. I really believe that Pilate still doesn't understand what the heck Jesus is talking about. But I think once Jesus started talking about his kingdom and once he mentioned the word truth, and he said it two times because he repeated it two times, 
Pilate is thinking in the back of his mind, this truth that he's talking about is far beyond me. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if he felt threatened. But Pilate is finally starting to get something here. He knew that this power of the truth was beyond his comprehension and control. Life's endeavors must be fueled by the truth of the gospel. Verse 38, Pilate asked again, what is truth? Then he went out again to the people and he told them, he is not guilty of any crime. This is that third conversation. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? You have worldly authority and you have spiritual authority. When I got married, I realized how selfish I was. And my faults were highlighted a lot more than I wanted them to be, if you know what I mean. Like I began to realize I'm off a little bit. I'm off a lot. But so is she, you know. Like, I'm off a lot. And then we had children. Tiffany and I had children. And then I continued to realize how selfish I am and how sinful I am and how I make mistakes. And I took on the role of being dad, papa bear, and Tiffany's a lot more chill and relaxed. She is a mama bear when you cross her, I'm telling you. But I'm more of the uh, moment by moment, making sure doors are locked, making sure I can see the kids riding in the street. If I see any strange car in the cul-de-sac, I'm on alert, you know, kind of like the dog. I'm kind of like the dog. That's kind of kind of the way I am. Tiffany's more chill with that kind of stuff. As a father, I make mistakes. I do things that I'm not supposed to do. Um, I, you know, I'm in the world. I live in the world. Uh, I do things of the world at times because temptation creeps in and it, and it, and it wears me down pretty good. Uh, my emotions, my frustrations, uh, my convictions, my wants, whatever, get the best of me sometimes and I make mistakes. Yesterday, Shelby had two softball games. She plays in Sonoy at a little rec league. We're Sonoy Galaxy. We started out in 6U, now we're 8U. And it's a lot of fun. And um, there was a team that we have always played against. They we're the only two original teams, really, from our little age bracket. And we've kind of moved up together. We're in our fifth season together. And they're kind of like our little rivalry, right? And so yesterday, I had a parent during the game who got really emotionally charged. Her daughter can't run very fast, but that's okay. She hits good. She, <laughs> she would run in second base, and the girl was in the baseline. And so daddy gets up on his feet, all emotionally charged in the game, and said, run her over. I don't care. Run her over. Run her over. And I'm like, come on. And so the other side... They get mad, and this other guy stands up, and he comes and gets in the face of my parent who is fussing. And so both sides are fussing at each other. The umpire, he's cross-eyed at this point. He don't know what the heck to do. And I said, Andrew, you're gone. No more. You got to go. You got to go home. You got to go home. And then I had other parents getting up, attacking the other side, and I finally just said, all y'all need to shut up. If you can't, you're going home and you can come back and get your kids. 
So this is about them, not you. The other coach did not choose to kick his guy out, which I opposed, and I shared my frustrations with that. But that's beside the point. We finally got that settled down. We get out to the outfield, and I'm standing there, and the little girl is crying. You know, and I'm crying because she's crying. I'm not crying. I'm crying now, you know. But she, she was crying, and she's just boo-hooing out in left field. I said, CC, your, your daddy made a mistake. I'm not mad at him. Like, I would have done that. I said, no one's mad at you, and no one's mad at him. We all make mistakes. See, as a father, as a parent, grandparent, we're put in authority over our children, right? To correct them, to help them, to rebuke them, to kind of keep them on the right path. I said, CC, daddy made a mistake. And that's okay. I forgive him. You have to forgive him. No one's mad at you. You can imagine the emotions of an eight or nine little year old little girl in the outfield crying because the coach just kicked her daddy out of the park, right? She's crying. And I get it. I'd be crying too if I were her age. I said, Daddy made a mistake. And it got me thinking. I thought, you know, what helps me is to know that my Heavenly Father doesn't make mistakes. You know, like he is worldly, he is spiritual authority, the highest authority possible. There's no other higher authority. Of course, we live in the world. We, we have parameters, we have laws, we have all sorts of things that we have to follow. We have to be respectful, we have to pray for those in authority, we have to pay those nasty, raunchy taxes that seem to go up and down all the time that we can't keep up with, but it is what it is. Those taxes truly don't matter in the overall picture of the kingdom of God. What matters is how many people come to know Christ. And God uses people, imperfect people, who live in the world, who make mistakes, and he gives people certain positions of authority within the world to guide more people to Christ. And those people make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes it's in the context of a parent. Sometimes it's in the context of maybe uh, a co-worker. Sometimes it's in the context of a church, unfortunately. Sometimes it's in the context of, uh, of, of maybe marriage. Uh, you know, you have, you've been put in a position when you're married to, to, to love on each other and to minister to each other. And when you're wrong, and when the other person is wrong, you know, to call them out on it. Sometimes you make those mistakes. Our Heavenly Father doesn't make mistakes. I'm telling you. If you wake up in the morning and, and everything else is crumbling down around you and you're in Jesus' position where you're emotionally betrayed, you're frustrated, you're tired, physically, spiritually, you feel like chaos, mayhem is around you and you don't know how to process things, the only constant for a believer is Christ. There's no one else. Not your spouse, definitely not yourself, not your children, not your money, nothing. There's no other constant that's not going to let you down Besides Christ, that's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. When we go through things, when we go through fires, when we go through whatever, we have one constant that never changes. Pastor Barry did a great job last week pointing out that God is, Jesus is not surprised by anything that happens to us. Why? Because he's never going to make a mistake. He's never going to lose his temper. 
He's never going to do something and then go back and regret it. He's not going to do any of those things. He's the solid constant. If you've been let down by parents, grandparents, children, nieces, nephews, someone else in your life, maybe bosses, other people that you looked up to, an authority who let you down, they are of the world and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Christ is that only figure that's not going to let you down. And until you get that, until you process that, you're never going to have peace. You're never going to have peace. It's never going to happen. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the times that you just tell us in your word what you want us to hear, what we're trying to hear. You tell us through these different responses of Jesus that there is a separation of worldly and spiritual authority. Your authority always comes first. It always takes priority. But Lord, we live in the world. And you have appointed people to have authority over us. And we must respect them and pray for them. Even when most of the time we don't agree with them. But Father, there's a spiritual side. Spiritual authority that has the one goal of every person born to the face of the earth to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. That is the goal of the kingdom of God for all of God's people, all of God's children, to turn their hearts towards Him. I assume, Lord, that most people in this room have made that decision in their life, that they've said, I know that there's something greater out there, I know there's something bigger, I just don't know can't quite figure out what it is. I've heard about this Jesus guy. I've been to church most of my life, but perhaps there's never been a day where I've said, you know what? I am following Jesus. I believe. I surrender my life to him. Everything about me, I surrender to him. My faults, my failures, everything about me that I need to let go of, I let go of it. Even my success, even my strength, I lay them down at the feet of the cross, and I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be the day that person comes forth and shares that information with a pastor at the front and that you give them the courage to do so. Lord, there's other times where we need to just lay things down at your feet. And every Sunday, every Sunday morning here at Real Church, we open up our altars for people to lay things down physically, emotionally, spiritually at your feet that we just don't need to deal with anymore. So we pray for those people coming down. If there's someone else, Lord, that you're leading that, need to be, that needs to be baptized in the near future, I pray they would make that known that they would reach out to someone and talk. Lord, whatever it is that you're laying on our hearts, we're asking you and inviting you to move and to cultivate growth and healing and promote a sense of reverence and humility in the name of Jesus. We thank you for our pastor who took a Sunday away. We pray that you grant him traveling mercies on his way home. And thank you for his time away. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, Real Church. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then... God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.